Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. So I have a complaint to register. With which one, Daryl Hall or John (laughs) Oates? Well, I'm I'm just going to tell you, I think John Oates is the unsung hero of Hall and Oates. Do you? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what they're up to these days. So my complaint could fall on one of their shoulders. Hmm. I'm going to say it's Daryl Hall. It could be. Well, let me let me tell you who I want to complain about. And you'll tell me if I if it is Hall. Okay. So it's probably me, isn't it? So. Uh, no, my buddy in in, <laughs> in Singapore sent me a, a a box of mooncakes because it's the, you know the time for the mooncake festival over there. And oh yeah, it's totally all. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I love getting mooncakes and I love eating them. Uh-huh. Well, this is the first year that when they arrived, the box had been examined by customs, <gasps> and they had. Opted there, the box contained four mooncakes, and one and of them had a giant bite taken out of it. Tell me, somebody no, took a bite. Three of them were completely missing. <laughs> what I had a giant box with one little mooncake. Oh, no, <laughs> and the note from customs said, Thank you, you know, due to they the were English. delicious. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what it that's the, the subtext of the letter I got. Is these look too good for you, so we're going to eat them. Oh, so I my only got one mooncake. And if he is now working at customs, then I totally blame Daryl Hall. <laughs> this is on the squarely on the shoulders of Daryl Hall. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what he's up to these that's days, and that's <laughs> unbelievable. It was a little sad. I am empty, so sorry about box. that. That is uh, that's horrible. Yeah. Do it broke a, my I, heart a little bit, I'll tell you. It sh- as sure. it rightly should. Heartbroken. How are you uh, doing otherwise? Good, good. Otherwise, I'm good. That's it? I, as long as I don't think about it, I'm good. <laughs> wow. That's just, that's really sad. Yeah, so I'm gunning for you, Hall. Welcome to the next reel, everybody. We are here to talk about movies. We love uh, talking about movies. And this uh, episode starts off our, our romantic comedy series just in time for Halloween. Um, you can find us at iTunes and subscribe to us there. And it's a great place to leave us uh, five stars and a nice review, which we will beat on the show. And you can go to thenextreel.com and find all sorts of other ways to contact us and stay in touch. And, of course, facebook.com slash thenextreel, instagram.com slash thenextreel. Where else? 
Letterbox.com slash the next reel. Letterbox.com Flickchart.com slash the next reel. Just everywhere. We are everywhere. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. And our, insta- and our Instagram guest the movie challenge is still going on this week. No one has gotten the movie that I've been uh, posting pictures of. So it's still up there for anyone who uh, wants to challenge themselves. Did you... Did you have we read the the feels like I'm in the room uh, review on iTunes from Dark Lord of Pudding? I think we have. Yes. I think we have. I didn't. I think I think you read it because the review is very familiar to me, but the name was not, and that just strikes me as enormously amusing <laughs> right now. So, Dark Lord of Pudding, thank you for your kind words. You're very you're very nice, and you're much more civil than your title would uh, would uh, indicate. That could be a potentially scary the title. Dark Lord of Pudding. I bet he's a quite, quite, quite the nom de plume. <laughs> uh, hey, good job on that uh, intro part. You did, you did good. You really owned it. I don't do it very often, so you know I, I know. really. And I just tossed it to you. I tossed it, it to you cold. So that I was just have to go with it. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm going to tell you about a trailer I love. Tell me. The Desolation of Smaug. Ooh. The Hobbit Part Two: Desolation of Smaug. Uh, and I, you know, if you uh, if you remember, I was uh, what do they call it? Uh, I think uh, on Wall Street they say bearish. I was mm. what they call bearish on the first Hobbit, particularly this whole forty-eight frames per second nonsense. I still contend that forty-eight frames per second nonsense is nonsense, and you can bet uh, your m- the missing scale on your chest plate that I will not be seeing Desolation of Smaug in 48 frames per second the first time I see it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to enjoy this movie is what I'm telling you. What a nice little metaphor. That was good. Mm-hmm. That empty, I like that. That part. empty bare spot over that dark yeah. place in your chest you call a heart. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but I am actually looking forward to this film. You get to do, I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking... I I'm starting to get the feeling Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, they're a little proud of themselves with all these Hobbit things. <laughs> I think they may have be, uh, yeah. And well, you, and yeah, I would be, be no 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 <laughs> don't believe me. It's his earned uh, fullness, this earned is, pride. They've yes. done some some incredible work on on these films collectively, and I'm I'm very excited to see them. I'm most uh, excited because uh, we finally get to see my friend Bard the Bowman. And uh, and I I love this section, uh, but in particular we get to see uh, and hear much more of Benedict Cumberbatch uh, as Smaug himself and the Necromancer. And so I this is uh, I think of the three I can already predict this is probably going to be the one I like the most. This is I and I you know this is the one that you you think Hobbit. This is the one you tune in for. Exactly. This is why you buy the seat. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when I watched uh, the animated version, are you talking I about the Ralph kind of, uh, Ralph Bakshi? The Ralph Bakshi uh, was the no the that oh no Lord that was Rings. Lord of the Rings yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he yeah. didn't do the the original the Hobbit animated version but it's similar ish yeah um, that was the uh, Orson Bean John Huston yeah I always got uh, I was so excited with the Rankin Dragon it was Rankin Bass sorry Rankin Bass yeah. Rankin Bass. And then when I it finished that and it went to the big war between all the different 
groups, that's when I kind of faded out a little bit and lost interest. An army of orcs approaches from the north. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, I thought that, you know, and that's why I think people were really surprised with this whole trilogy thing, but then when you realize that the dragon is the second part of the story, and then yes. there's this whole war going on in the third part, it made sense. Oh, me. yeah, count me in. I was one of those. How, what, yeah. what are they going to do in the third section? I totally forgotten that there was a major battle. It's, I know, I know. <laughs> Well, apparently, uh, I forgot that uh, Legolas gets, uh, you know, gets a little lady time. <laughs> I, I forgot <laughs> Legolas was even in the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be. Uh, he seems to have his little role there in uh, in this one. Uh, yes. Make it make it a big, big deal about old Legolas. Yes, definitely. In this film, Orlando Bloom gets a little screen time. Screen well, actually, they they actually pull off making him look younger than he was when he did the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. He actually does. He really does. But, you know, he also doesn't really age. That's true. Right? I mean, you look at him here, look at him in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, look at him in, uh, uh, you know, the first Elizabeth. Lord of the Rings. and uh, Yeah, right? I mean, he hasn't aged since then. Maybe he's animatronic. He may be slightly, uh, he, he's partly animatronic. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be, uh, a fun one to see. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. What, uh, we've got, did I say when it was opening? They're making a big deal about it. December 13th, 2013. Very exciting. All right. Your turn. I am doing a lovely little romantic comedy trailer, kind of fitting in with the vibe of what we're doing this month. It is a film that is, I, I believe it premiered at uh, Toronto earlier this year, and it's actually going to be playing at Chicago, like right, probably as our show's going out, or a few weeks later, at the Chicago International Film Festival. Um, it's called Lay Weekend, and it is a lovely little romantic comedy uh, directed by Roger Mitchell, who, of course, did the lovely uh, Notting Hill and uh, you're saying lovely too much right now. I just need you to. I want to be on the record. And it's and it includes a lot of lovely. It and it includes the lovely, talented <laughs> Jim Broadbent, the lovely and beautiful in her age Lindsay Duncan, and the lovely, oft forgotten but always enjoyable Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I, I, it looks really good. This is like, didn't we, were we talking about this with some other movie earlier? Kind of like the geriatric uh, romantic comedy films? Well, no, we were talking about the geriatric action films. Oh, <laughs> with the, your favorite, The Expendables and uh, Red, whatever. Uh -huh. and... Expendables, Expendables 2, Red, Red 2, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, now we have the, the geriatric rom com, the geri yes. rom com, uh, the rom comiatric. <laughs> rom comiatric. <laughs> oh my god yeah uh so yeah so that is what we're, that's, that's my trailer uh the weekend it's is this couple of, uh of uh old people who have been uh married for many years they go back to paris to kind of recreate their honeymoon rejuvenate their marriage because their marriage is kind of you know they're they're you know they've been together for a long time and it's kind of at that point where they're like oh, do i really want to be together anymore you know kids are gone what else do we have going on and it looks like a great little opportunity for these two characters to kind of find the love for each other again and 
I, you know, watching the trailer just uh, it made me happy, and it's just you know Jim Broadbent. I mean, you really can't go wrong with the man, right? Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, that Jim Broadbent. Cloud Atlas <laughs> plays a chair. Harry Potter. Right? Yeah, that's right. He does. He does indeed. <laughs> what can't he do? What can't he do? <laughs> Such range. Uh, uh, oh, so romantic comiatric to a nice chiffon. <laughs> uh, I hear he's going to be a, a lovely vase on the mantelpiece. <laughs> His later film. You will never know he was even in the film. He's that good. It's like, wow, he's I so, didn't see him. He's so method. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So that's my trailer. It, it uh, It's playing festivals right now. I believe it's uh, opening in England, uh, in the UK, uh, next week. And then it doesn't open in, in the US until a limited release next Valentine's Day. So we'll have to wait a little while unless we catch it at a festival. Mm. Alas. Mm. Hmm. I don't know that I'm excited about, you know, that festival's great unwashed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, I was a joke. Uh, yes. That was a joke. Uh, I, love, I love me the festivals, please. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Shall we do? Shall we start in this? Are you okay? Are you prepped? Are you primed and ready? I am prepped. You know what? You know what? I feel like we've already failed this episode. Why? Because I feel like we should have been doing it in a non-linear structure. We should have started at the end of our review, and then been jumping around the whole time, and, and then brought in the trailers right before we finished with the real end. You know what? We should totally. You don't even have to worry about it. We're gonna do it all straight through. And then I'm going to cut the heck out of it. And so when you when people listen to it, it'll make no sense at all. Until we play that line at the very end, and people go, oh, <laughs> I see now. <laughs> oh, man, that'll be, that'll be so funny for you know future Pete and future Andy to one day say, what a terrible idea that was. <laughs> oh, podcasties, here we come. Remember when we shouldn't have done that? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I just made up an award. Did you hear that? The podcast. Podcasties. <laughs> Surely that's probably the only podcast award we'd ever get. <laughs> the one we have to invent. <laughs> what do we make up for ourselves? <laughs> oh. Okay, now I'm serious. We should do this yes. thing. I love the Smiths. Sorry? I said I love the Smiths. To die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. I love them. Holy. This is a story of boy meets girl. They made a statue of us. The boy, Tom Hansen, grew up believing that he'd never truly be happy until the day he met the one. The girl, Summer Finn, did not share this belief. You should know up front, this is not a love story. I think we should stop seeing each other. Just like that? Just like that. Start from the beginning and tell us what happened. I tried to talk to her in the copy room. She's totally not having it. Maybe she was just in a hurry. And maybe she's an uppity better than everyone super skank. In college, they called me perfectly adequate handsome. They used to call me anal girl. I was very neat and organized. See you, boyfriend? No. Who needs it? We're young. Might as well have fun while we can. Wait, wait. What happens if you fall in love? 
You don't believe that, do you? What? It's love, it's not Santa Claus. What I want, you got I think it's official. I'm in love with Summer. I love how she makes me feel. Boyfriend. Of course. What happened? Why, why didn't they work out? What always happens? Life. We'll get over her. I don't want to get over her. I want to get her back. We've been like Sid and Nancy for months now. We have some disagreements, but I hardly think I'm Sid Vicious. No, I'm Sid. Oh, so I'm Nancy. This is a Hollow Notes vehicle, really. Ultimately, this is Mark Webb's effort to get Hollow Notes back in the um, in the the musical vernacular, and as a music video director. Uh, you know, I think he really has a has stake in bringing Hollow Notes back, and, and I think this song, "You Make My Dreams Come True," uh, in fact, m- maybe for me, uh, well, certainly, it it vies for heavy contention against Burt Bacharach's "The Blob." <laughs> I have been singing this song all week. Yes, and I don't I know the words for I don't know the words to it at all. So you know. It's, I just make up words to it. <laughs> a batter needs a cage. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what that, a batter, what is that? I sing that in particular. That's, that really stands out as. That's all right. I'll, uh, I'll, fi- work. I'll fix it in post. Question mark. <laughs> what do you think of this movie? Uh, we're, this is rom-com. We should be, we should be taking this serious. Uh, can I, t- I'm going to start. Can I tell you what I love about this film? Tell me, tell me. Don't hold back. Well, I, now I've lost my thread. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'll i tell you, I like this film. Um, I, I like this film, and I like that we're starting with this film because, uh, in, in particular, um, it is... Well, it, so it opens and it gives you the it, it gives you the punchline, right? This is a story of boy meets girl, and and it is not a love story. So we know how it's going to end. We just and and we know because of the nonlinear structure of the film, we know that the both characters know how it's going to end ultimately, but we know that they know that they don't know how it's going to end. They know right. they know how it's going to end, but they don't know in what fashion. That doesn't make any sense. But what I'm what I love about this film is first of all, the traditional sort of romantic comedy gender roles are reversed. Right. Uh, and uh that uh Joseph Gordon Levitt Levitt uh in, in this case um plays the emotional role of uh, that is much more f- typically feminine and uh Zoe De Chanel uh plays the much more sort of uh I- emotionally um not detached but unaware uh kind of masculine role yeah a little more difficult to Aloof. pin yeah. yeah yeah she's enormously frustrating mm-hmm. uh in this film and i think it, you know we'll talk more about about zoe uh in a bit but um generally i i love the way this film turns those dynamics on their ear and i think it makes it a much much more interesting film to watch than than some of the the you know traditional fare we'll be tackling uh, <laughs> in coming weeks, uh, but for this one I think they took some fantastic risks, and I was I, I was you know it was very touching. I find myself really torn by the film at the end. I find myself really mad uh, because you know I, I know this girl right. I know Summer. I dated yeah. Summer, and uh, I'm still mad at Summer in many <laughs> respects. You know my my Summer, uh, you know sh- shaved her head at an Ani DeFranco con 
concert and became a lesbian. So like I, I, when I watch that movie, I think about that. (laughs) 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 Those were the days, right? Oh yes. Good time. And, and so, you know, by the time the film ends, uh, and, and we, we kind of see, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, uh, uh, logical next step after these 500 days. Uh, my, I'm torn by being completely satisfied that this is the chapter that I feel like he belongs on. And God, I wish I could see that movie. Yeah. Then I realize I've seen that movie. I mean, I haven't seen that movie, but I've seen it. Right. So yeah. I, d- I deeply love this movie. This is uh, that. That's why. That's what it's, I'm saying. It is a really interesting film, and and you know, Mark Webb the the director who, you know, like you said, started in music videos, this is his first feature film, he has come out saying this really is kind of a coming-of-age story masquerading as a romantic comedy. And I think that when you, when you look at it from that perspective, it really is a story about Tom really trying to grapple with his sense of love and what it means and... and, and trying to get a handle on this emotion that he really pins as, you know, belonging to one person when you meet that person. And I think the the lesson that he learns over the course of the story is growing and, and finding that, you know what, this is a, this is a, a very tricky emotion. And it really is something that can be applied to a different person. When you're not with the right person, and his friend says that horribly cliched, you know, there's lots of fish in the sea at the beginning of the film. And, but in a way it is kind of true. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those ridiculous things that people say at the wrong times when mm-hmm. you're, when you're dealing with that heartbreak, but you are, you can move through that and there is somebody else that you can find. And, and I think that when he is able to kind of grow through that and, you know, find autumn, it's, it's a beautiful moment and it really feels honest and you can really get a good sense that this is a character, Tom, who has actually grown and learned something about uh, about love and his or it, and the role of it in his life. Yeah, you know, the the other thing that I like so much about the uh, uh, the direction that they they took the film and his in particular his journey uh, is uh, by by sort of shining a light on um, the emotional connection that. Uh, men can make in a relationship. And I, I think that, uh, in, you know, often that sort of, uh, you know, we don't see vulnerability celebrated in film, in romantic comedies often. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think back, frankly, to, to uh, Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine. I think that's another film that, that through a different lens and not a funny one, uh, lets us celebrate vulnerability uh, in a relationship in a different way. And I, I see a lot of parallels between this film and, and that, uh, not just in narrative structure, but in, in emotional structure of the film. And I found that, that really appealing. Like it, it makes it a, it, it takes this film to a sort of a new, uh, depth for me, uh, that we get to celebrate through his point of view, the act of vulnerability in a deep relationship over the, over the course of time in a way that we, you know, I, I don't remember ever seeing really a film like this told in this way. Well, it's tricky. Uh, you know, I think the reason that romantic comedies are, you know, and I hate stereotyping, but I think... No, 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 you should. I think this is important. <clears throat> well... Go ahead. Stereotype I, I think the, the reason... Yeah, stereo, stereotype away. The reason that I think they uh, tend to be told more from the woman's perspective uh, is because 
in society, men are in a way kind of loathe to expose their emotions. They don't want to admit that they cry. It's, you know, men are tough and, and it's, and the women tend to be the, the more emotional character. The men tend to be the, you know, the more, you know, sturdy character. And, you know, this is maybe just looking at the perspective of the stereotypical from, uh, you know, the fifties or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think that that feel has kind of always hung on in, in this genre. And I mean, you look at a lot of the uh, romantic comedies that are still made and and I'm not talking about some of the uh, ones that we're going to be talking about so much oh, but no, the, no, but not. definitely ones that are out there you know you see these ones with um uh, you know I'm blanking on uh, like the the knocked up whatever her name was in, uh the knocked up uh where she's the the uh <laughs> this is good this is good I kind of just want to see how this stuff, unravels um uh, are you talking where about where she's the where she's the uh You're talking like about the, Catherine Heigl the Yeah, Catherine Heigl yeah. where she's the um uh person looking for her um uh the inmate or whatever, you know, she's kind of got that uh guy that she's trying to track down. It's her former lover and it turns out that there's still there's still is kind of a link between them. And you go through this whole romantic comedy thing of you know, her trying to stop him and you know, it just it's it's a lot of silliness, I think. And it just plays on kind of the, the heightened emotions and everything, and I don't think it ends up coming across as anything that is as honest. It's, it's, it's for fun, and I think romantic comedies tend to fall to just kind of those fun sorts of, that fun uh, type of film. Maybe that's because romantic comedies kind of came out of the whole screwball comedy genre back in the, early, uh, the earlier days of film. That's possible, but uh, um, but I think that people now have found a way. Uh, really, kind of, I would actually go back to like the late '80s, with, even with when Harry Met Sally. I think that people started putting some more serious uh, emotional feelings into some of the romantic comedies that started coming out around then. And I think if you start looking, you know, the '80s, '90s, 2000s, and today. I think there is a thread of some more quality romantic comedies that do tend to be a little more honest with their emotions. Um, well, you know, I look at you. You bring up Knocked Up, which I'm I'm glad you do because it's a you know I think Judd Apatow is one of those directors that is uh, those writers and directors that's taking on. Um, the the love story from all sorts of different vectors, right? And and the one that I'm thinking of in particular is This Is Forty, and I I was, um, you know I I loved the trailer of This Is Forty. I thought it was really funny, and I love the idea of taking on these characters from a a place of a little bit more maturity. But it turns out the movie itself was not that funny. It ends up having a lot more sort of darkness and sadness in it. Uh, and, and it doesn't really approach the romantic part of the, you know, the romantic, it's really neither romantic nor comedic, right. uh, through much of the film. And, and, uh, you know, by comparison, you look at these, um, at, at movies like 500 Days of Summer, at, at 500 Days of Summer, and you see just a really elegant balance between, uh, what is really a movie about a breakup, 
right? I mean, it's it, it it's a movie. It's not a it's not a romantic comedy in that we're watching two people go over the struggles in order to normalize against one another uh, as they find the pattern of their relationship. It's not a story about people uh, about two people just sort of uh, falling in love, or it's not a story about finding a kid in a park. It's not. I mean, it's a story about two people who find each other and realize they're wrong for each other. Uh, yeah. And and that's I, I think a hard movie to make you know a romantic comedy out of you know it's a hard story to do that and I I really love um, kind of the commitment they make to that relationship arc in a way that I think is more sophisticated uh, than than we've seen but there is something about the stereotype that I think is important which is what are we sort of emotionally wired to react to most naturally right that's why we keep making these movies that are that are otherwise kind of exist at that more sort of simple level uh you know boy meets girl um they have a, a wonderful time together there is some inciting incident that causes them to start fighting a lot they drink and talk to their best friends and then eventually they make up and get back together and and are standing outside with a boombox over their head um, but we're wired to see those movies and to love them because there is a deep, I think, psychosocial reaction we have to wanting to um, to exist in a relationship like that. I mean, that's just sort of as animals, that's that's kind of what we do. Um, and um, and I think that's why these movies, you know, typically romantic comedies capitalize on on that because we're biologically wired to aspire to simple stories like that in our own lives. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the times the nature of them having that happy ending, I mean, it really builds into that whole uh, stereotype of what you were just saying is not only do we want to see that story, we want to see those emotions played out, but we also want it to end happily mm-hmm. in a way that everything just feels uh good we've had a you know a good up and down with the romance but it still ends happily and we also have had some laughs along the way mm-hmm. i think that's you know a very key part of the genre is kind of that that happy ending that makes you feel good right right uh, and so with with this film, I think they, uh, you know, what they, what Mark Webb and, and uh, writers, uh, uh, Scott Neustadter and Michael Weber ended up doing uh, was creating both a, um, uh, a, a film that capitalizes on some of the stereotypes in moments, but make it a, a much more interesting, interestingly architected film. Yeah, yeah. And even the, the love story I find so fascinating because, I mean, it really... In a way, there is a comparison between this and Up in the Air in that... Oh, God, that's great. She yes. she really, right from the start, is completely honest with him and says, you know, I don't know if I want the, anything more out of this. And he's the one who really latches on and ends up creating this this love, this this immense love for her, and really wants to have more in his life with her, even though right from the start she was honest with him as far as what she was expecting out of the relationship, exactly like Alex is with Ryan in Up in the Air. Yes. Oh, that's and such it, a great comparison. I didn't even think about that. That's perfect. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's just an interesting way that those characters are played. And I think it really comes out at the end when they're sitting on the bench together and Summer says, you know, and I can't remember the exact words, but I, I did, you were right. I, I, you know, because he was the one who was preaching, you know, about love. And she's just like, it's, you know, it, there's, it, there's not that thing out there. 
and she admits at the end, no, you were right. You should always believe in love because you were the one who was right. It's just that you weren't right about me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like an amazing uh, emotional honesty that is delivered at that moment that you don't often see in this sort of film. And I think what's amazing is the way that they play off that failure of this relationship in the film but they still find a way to end it on a very positive up note. Because as an audience, you know, I felt as frustrated as I was with Summer and the relationship and everything. At that moment, I knew that they weren't right for each other. And so by building in that end where he he meets Autumn and they have that connection, whether it is going to end up working or not, it almost doesn't matter to me. It's just the fact that they have that connection and we roll over from 500 days to back to day one of this new relationship. And I felt that that was the happy ending that we needed, even though it's not the right character or the character that we were expecting. It still is the happy ending for who Tom needed it to be in the film. Hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. I um yeah, no. I I mean I buy it. I I feel like uh the that his his journey uh, the the part I'm torn on is that his journey is really about um you know, it, it, the reason it's allowed to end positively is by substitution. Which is how I mean how all r- really relationships kind of and that's the the rebound right you know i mean that's that, that's sort of how we're supposed to go with it but there is something that that to me is just a touch hollow uh at the end and i think that's why i end up conflicted uh because he is you know because we do end on a rebound story um it's it's a rebound story yes and no uh because i do feel like there's been that coming of age growth for him Right. And I feel like, I mean, I, I can see totally what you're saying, but because he's gone through this, this arc over the course of the story, and we've seen his character uh, grow, and, and really through that, that park bench scene where he's kind of you know, finally able to say goodbye to Summer and he's yeah. not angry at her anymore, we finally have seen him grow and learn to understand really kind of what love is and, and, and the nature of a, a relationship and all of that. And I think... It's. I, I guess I don't find it quite so hollow because I, I felt the relationship with Summer always was told. I mean, it's told to us from his perspective. We get this story from his side, and it's. It comes at us very. In a way, it's unfairly because uh, because he's a little more. Uh, it's his story. It's it's a more selfish story, right. and because because he does grow and he finally is able to change. The story that's going to be with Autumn, whatever that story is, I think could potentially be a a much stronger love story between him and Autumn because now he's finally gone past the point of, I love you, I'm not going to listen to what you're telling me, which is what that you don't want a relationship. I'm actually now going to actually listen and understand and pay attention to what it is that you want out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can buy that. And plus, it's Minka Kelly. And I like, yes. I think I like her better than Zoe. <laughs> terrible. Uh, I have no problem with that, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he ended up with who he should have ended up with. Let's just, I mean, I'm just going to say it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt should totally end up with Minka Kelly. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that uh, at all. Uh, let's talk about... Uh, uh, um, 
uh, Jogolet. Jogolet. Does he have a like an urban? That sounds very French. <laughs> Jogolet. Jogolet. It's like a Jogolet. It's like a, it's like a, a French lotion commercial. <laughs> Jogolet. Jogolet. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be thrilled to have this new <laughs> moniker. I can't wait till he listens to this show. Uh, let's talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. What'd you think of him? Uh, there were no prosthetics on his face. There were no prosthetics on his face. Not he actually looked like he actually looks like. He did. Yeah. You know, I I always enjoy Jogolet. I think he's really just uh, one of the great young actors right now who's out there. Um, interestingly, his his film Don John... I guess you could call it a romantic comedy. I'm not quite sure uh, exactly what the genre of that is. But it's his directorial debut uh, and his uh, screenwriting debut. And uh, so he, you know, he enjoys challenging himself with films that are, are interesting stories. I really enjoy the... I don't always like the films that he picks to be in, but I always enjoy... Uh, what he's doing with it, and I enjoy that he's always trying new things and doing unique, unique projects. I mean, he's been around forever. I mean, this is a kid who, I mean, he started in 1988, appearing in some uh, bit parts in TV shows and everything, including like Family Ties. I mean, he's been around yeah. a long time, and then of course came the big one, Third Rock from the Sun, which I think was, uh, you know, he kind of credits with with his. That's where he learned all about, you know, the the comedy, the the pratfalls and all of that, like his spit take that he does in this. All of that kind of physical comedy came from Third Rock from the Sun. And he's working with pros in that one, so that's he, easy to yeah, see. Yeah, no, he certainly is. And that show was on a long time, Tommy Solomon. Yeah. He was in it, I think, five years, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, yeah, he's, you know, I liked him in this film, and he's he is, uh, it falls a, a little bit uh, prey to, um, you know, to the to the Leo syndrome, you know, the DiCaprio, DiCapriitis, uh, where he just is a genuinely young-looking kid, even though, you know, here he is, he's 33-something. Yeah. Um, you know, he he's another one that he's, he's Legolas, he just doesn't seem to age, and, and in some of his films as a result I have you know I have trouble buying him in this film I think he just nails it I mean he looks yeah. the part he feels the part and I, and in fact I would say um I I think the same thing in uh Don John I think he just absolutely crushes the look and feel of that role you know how he right. you know I think he's just obviously he sort of wrote it I imagine for himself and I it just feels very natural I I don't have the same feeling about Looper uh you know, and and Inception to some extent, uh, you know, Dark Knight Rises, uh, you know, Lincoln, uh, and, and yet, you know, Fifty Fifty uh, was fantastic to, for me. And I know you, you, we have some, we're we're sort of split on that one. Yeah, um, uh, we're we're kind of Fifty Fifty. I, <laughs> I wasn't gonna talk, go there. We're gonna like waste all of our bad jokes. If you pull Uh-oh. them out too early, then we're just they're not gonna be funny. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm a bad joke waster. Like this. When, when it's there, I got to use it. You know? It's like the slot machine. <laughs> yeah. Just put it. Corner. Corner. I get it. Stupid. That's exactly what you sound like for that. <laughs> That's terrible, uh, and, and yet in this one, in this film, I think he, uh, I, I think he does a, a fantastic job. He pulls off again that that sense of vulnerability that feels very natural, and and you know, in the same way, I I think um, 
I think that Hugh Jackman pulls off that inner lizard brain that we talked about. You know, I, I think uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, for me, uh, uh, finds that lizard brain piece of vulnerability for me. I can very easily imagine myself uh, in, in, you know, filling those shoes in this relationship. And it, 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 um, it built that emotional connection for me for the film very nicely. He's a guy who can play that emotional side of a man in a way where it comes off very believable and heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I find him 100% convincing through this film. Yes, totally, totally agree with that. Yep. Uh, and uh, Zoe? Ah, uh, Zoe. The she of she and him. What's the story with Zoe? I don't know, but it's she. It's she has anime eyes. Totally right. Totally. Yes. There's some people who are born with that. They're just parts of their bodies are cartoons. Yep. Sometimes it's she, the hair. I think Scarlett Johansson has cartoon hair. <laughs> for example. <laughs> uh, she just might. Right. You know, Audrey Tattoo also has kind of yes. that, that an- animated look. <laughs> yes. No, that's very good. That's very true. That's very yeah. true. Uh, so, Zoe, do you have the uh, do do you or do you find uh, Zoe um, appealing? You know, I do in in an interesting way where I always kind of find her um, a little. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but mm-hmm. I always feel a little. Uh, put off by her and maybe it's the way she looks with her eyes i always feel like she's maybe just a little too observant like there's, there's some powers there that <laughs> she's, she's wielding she's wielding like you know, secret powers i think uh she's a superhero yeah maybe a little bit i here's the thing i i'm a huge fan of the new girl right of the show new girl her show right you watch new girl no I know. This is going to go nowhere. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of the show, and I had the same feeling about the show that I have about this film. I find myself deeply attracted to uh, Zoe Deschanel's projects because I think she surrounds herself herself with great people. I, I love New Girl not necessarily because of her, but because of these other three characters, these three male characters on the show, and because of, you know, I think the writing talent on the show is fantastic, and, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm really attracted to that, but I find, I, you know, I'm just, I, I just am sort of bemused by watching her exist. You know, and and yeah. I I when I talk about her in other circles, uh, you know, with my only other friend, um, we have the same sort of feeling. Like there's this sense of uh, that that she's just sort of mesmerizing, but in a very strange way. Like, man, there's a guy on a really tall bike, sort of way. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> like something that that you just wouldn't expect to see. She's she's always looking at you a little bit, like uh, like she's about to like like strike. <laughs> um she's in this film in particular i find her infuriating and i think it's infuriating in just the right way like the way it's intended to be uh but i 
I am just every sequence she's in, I find myself saying, gosh, why is she, why is she doing what she's doing? Like I, I have the same reaction to her that, you know, watching a movie with my wife is like watching a, you know, a horror movie with my wife or something. She's just like constantly infuriated by the experience because she feels like you're just so stupid. That's how I feel watching Zoe Deschanel in this film. She's perfect in the role. Right. She absolutely inhabits the role of Summer. She is that, uh, I mean, you're, I'm mesmerized by her. I'm constantly finding myself falling in love with her every time I see her, every time she's doing anything. Oh, the but Ikea it, scene. Forget about yeah, it. But I would, the, we should totally go shopping. It makes me want oh, to go to yeah, Ikea. Absolutely. Or, or go listen to Octopus's Garden a million times. It, it, she has that personality that I'm drawn to that I just, I, I totally can fall for, but... At the same time, I, I feel like I'd be walking into it constantly going, this isn't going to end well. This isn't going to yeah. end well, but I can't stop. Yeah. It's like it's like the bug drawn to the the, the electric uh, uh, zapper. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and stay away from the light. Stay away from I the light. I can't. <laughs> the, uh, you know, there. that's when the film, I think it's really interesting, is that last sort of 15 minutes, right? Uh, you know, it's the when... After uh, uh, Chloe Moritz, what's her name, Rachel, uh, the mm-hmm. sister, the younger sister, says, you know, I know you feel like she was the one. I don't think she was, and I think you're remembering all the good stuff. The next time you look back, I think you should look at the bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Try to remember some of the bad stuff. And that it turns out being uh, really sage advice, uh, and so he does. And again, we go start jumping around through history, and then we realize, that, you know what, she really was totally aloof all the time. And uh, she was she was not the one, um, and and you you cement that feeling of, uh, y- you know what, uh, Jogolet, you really uh, y- you were right to to allow yourself to you're okay to allow yourself to move on, and by then that that sort of emotional feeling you sort of get to let go of of uh, Zoe, and you get to uh, y- you get to start feeling comfortable in in Tom's shoes and and um, and safer. Uh, through that sequence, and I found that really rewarding. Uh, I, I think they did a wonderful job uh, painting this little eight-minute sequence, uh, allowing us as an audience to move on from that relationship. It was just beautiful. Well, and I think what's so interesting is the way they kind of come back to the same moments uh, like three times throughout yeah. the film where you see these scenes play out, and in each time it's it's just the way that maybe it's coming at a time in the film where we're in a certain emotional place where tom is we're seeing that like the things that are happening in that moment from that perspective where it's like okay i can see the positive side of that scene and then we're saying oh i can see the really dark side of that scene and we're saying oh i can see the side of the scene where i wasn't really paying attention to the signs that she was giving off. And it's not that she's a bad person. It's just that she was being honest and I was being in love. And I find it really interesting the way that they, it's a really interesting way to show this is kind of human nature. We can go back to the same, the same moment in our lives time and time again from different perspectives and find something different in it. And I find that so, uh, so amazing. And I, I, I think that that's a real strength of this film is, is they're not showing us different moments every time. They're coming back to the same moments. And we're seeing it from, with, with new eyes. And I think that is just so beautiful. And it, it, it's part of that growth that Tom... You know, really has over the course of this film. Well, and I, 
I think that it, you know, it's worth at least, you know, talking about this from the, the uh, perspective of the, the writing, the artfulness of the writing of this film. Yeah. Um, I, because Scott Neustetter and, and uh, Michael Weber, um, they've written a bunch of stuff. Well, not a bunch, but they've written stuff together. Yeah. Uh, what? Have, let's see. What do I have? I lost my tab. Spectacular now. Which is you know the big the big indie summer buzz this year. Yep, that's the the big one this year. Pink Panther two, hmm, Friends with Benefits, a TV show. They uh, looks like they were uh, working on it. And, and uh, but the uh, but this one to me is the most I think um, sophisticated uh, structurally and the most complex for the reasons that you just outlined. I think to be able to write this in such a way where we get. Um, such a complete view of these two characters through the repeat uh, display of these sequences, uh, I, I think shows a, an enormous patience on the on the uh, part of the writers to uh, to to and diligence uh, to actually push the story on us in the way they did. And I feel like as a result, we end up with a a, a much more sort of holistic view of of these characters. And I think that ends up making that. Uh, the reward of discovering where their relationship ends up, you know, even knowing that they gave us the punchline in the opening sequence, the opening narration, even knowing everything that we know, to be able to continue to learn things shows a, a, an enormous sort of prowess with words and structure that I think is, is you know, worth thinking about. And, you know, I find it really interesting uh, listening to the writers talk about the ending of the film. They even all the way through to the end, aren't in complete agreement about some of the elements of the script. And I, I think that makes some of the honesty play where you can see things different ways. The moment where the, at the end, when he's sitting on the park bench looking at his favorite view of the city and summer comes up and they have that beautiful conversation, it's the moment we see at the very beginning of the film where they, you know, the kind of, she puts her hand on his, they have that little moment and, and she leaves, to, she, they talk about her getting married and all that stuff. And, and, she she leaves and he kind of says, you know, I, you know whatever it is that he says, it, it's kind of acknowledging I don't hate you. I, I know that you just weren't right for me and, and I'm happy for you. And what's interesting is that even to this day, like those two writers don't completely agree as to whether Summer was actually there or not. One of them believes that she really did bump into him there and they have this conversation. The other one believes that this is completely a fictionalized scene that he has in his head to finally let go of Summer. And I find that so interesting that you can look at it both ways and it works both ways. But which did you believe when you saw the film? I believed she was there. Yeah, me too. I've always believed she was there. And I, I actually have never even thought about the idea that she wasn't there. Right. But one of the writers and the director both believe that she wasn't there. And this was all just kind of a figment in his mind that, you know, when you when you have a, a you know a really harsh breakup like this, you kind of need to find a way to cathartically get through it, whether it's a, a weird dream you have or whether it's, you know, throwing a, you know, shredded photos off of a cliff into the sea or whatever it is. And this was, for them, this was the cathartic creation in his head that he um, comes up with in order to move past her. And they, the, the reasoning is, we've seen 
this kind of thing happen in the film uh, before we've seen the uh, the fantasy little film that he creates when he's when he falls asleep in the theater, and of course we've seen the amazing dancing that happens when they first get together. We see these all these interesting perspectives in Tom's mind, and so that's why they feel like this really can come through that way. It's I an interesting perspective. I didn't get that at all. Yeah, I not know, I at all, and I, and I think it's because they, you know, in, even as you're listing the fantasy elements of the film, um, you know, the dance scene, the the film, you know, right. uh, the classic film, uh, those were portrayed in such a fantastical way, absolutely, uh, that they did not fall in line with any other uh, more uh, real kind of perspective shift. Uh, right, in, and there's uh, and there's there was nothing nothing that set us up for that. Right, exactly. And I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think that's why I believe that she was there and is just kind of a... I, I never really thought it was like a circumstantial bumping in. I felt it was like she also kind of needed that cathartic goodbye. And she knew that he always hung out there and came to that spot to hope that he was there and he conveniently happened to be there. And so they had that moment. That's how I've right. always seen it. Right. Right. Uh, that's why. Now... Um, the, I sort of want to believe that that was a, a little bit of a fantasy because it wasn't a great scene for me. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, hmm. And it, it's not necessarily that I didn't need the closure. It's that I I didn't, uh, there are elements of, of just her performance in that scene that I felt were just like, uh, she just not there. Like, I, I felt like uh, she wasn't, um she wasn't present there. Interesting, because I find that one of her strongest scenes, and I feel that she comes across in the uh, 100% honest way that Summer always is throughout the film. I completely buy everything that she does in that scene, everything she says in that scene. So that's interesting. I, well, it is interesting, because what I, what I, um, you know, what I really like about it was the hand-holding um, yeah. part at the end and I feel like that was uh, uh, unearned hand holding it wasn't hand holding it was the, the it touching, was that the touching yeah it was the, that friendly you know reconciliation from the anger and bitterness toward each other and just kind of yes I kind of acknowledge you as a person and uh, I wish you the best yeah <laughs> Much like you do to me. Every time. I acknowledge every... you as a person <laughs> and I wish you the best. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna start my own greeting card company. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my big seller. Roses I are red. I hate you. you. <laughs> I acknowledge you as a person. I wish, I wish you the you best. The best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. You should do that. I'm going to. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, uh, do we what, do we need to talk more about uh, Mark Webb? Goes on from this direct Spider Man, awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's a didn't pretty, see that coming. Pretty lucky guy. I uh, am very thrilled for him that that's the trajectory that uh, that he's made. Very excited for him. Right? So uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to. I, I'm one of the few. Apparently. Not as many people liked The Amazing Spider-Man as I thought, but I did really enjoy it. I liked it quite a bit. I'm definitely looking forward to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, 
I deeply, deeply liked The Amazing Spider-Man. I think people didn't like it because they felt the need to go back and do an origin story again. And I could, I get that completely. It it bothers me that they can't just jump in and do a, just a great superhero story without the whole uh, origin again, which we just got less than 10 years before. Yeah, I, no, 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 I get that I too. I completely acknowledge that. But I still think they did a stellar job with that film. Yep, yep, agree. We should talk about uh, that sometime. Uh, yes. So anyhow, Mark Webb, uh, he has done some fine work in this film. Uh, it feels like uh, I this was his first uh, feature film. Yes. As far as I understand. Uh, and it felt like a first feature film uh, in a way that was uh, a first feature that was competent and present in itself and extremely well architected and had some fantastic vision. Uh, and that's not um, you know, that, that's sort of rare. Yeah. He was very daring. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, that first filmmaker who takes risks and does interesting things because I mean, you know, when you're making your first film, sometimes I I guess there's two ways you can play it safe and just hope that you get enough money to make it, uh, to sell, tell somebody, yes, I did it. I made the money back. I want to do another one. Or you can really take a risk and try to make something make, like stand out a little bit. I think he went that route and really did something that he could stand out with, not in a way that takes you out of the film where you're going, wow, that was really visually amazing to look at. There just wasn't much there. He finds a way to blend it all and tie it all together. And I feel it works. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, so much of that credit uh, goes to the cinematography and editing uh, in this film, and I and I think in this film a lot of it also goes to you know the production design, the costume design. Oh, uh, the just, music, please! I mean, everything comes yeah. together so so well in this film. I mean, the just the the way that the production design, Laura Fox did the production design in this film, and the way that she tied the color schemes together. And interestingly, they never allowed blue to be worn by anybody or in anything except when summer was around and the dance scene, which I thought was really cool because that's him celebrating his love for her. Right, right. That's wonderful. Um, Talk about, do you, is this a soundtrack that you uh, listen to often? It's a fantastic soundtrack, and the score it's, is also fantastic. Um, the soundtrack is full of just wonderfully catchy uh, pop tunes and, uh, well, a wide variety. I shouldn't just say pop tunes. It's just a wide variety of great music. And then the score by Michael Dan and Rob Simonson is also just beautiful, and it's got just some amazing uh, romantic moments, and it just is very playful and uh, a lot of fun. Uh, sorry, I went to the... 500 Days Music website. You can go there, 500daysmusic.com, and it starts playing real, real loud. <laughs> you didn't hear that, but it certainly came on in my head. But it was there. It was also. so loud. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I think is so nice about it, first of all, I didn't need to buy the soundtrack because I had all the <laughs> songs you anyway. You know, I mean, it, it, they they do a, a wonderful job. This is sort of that high fidelity kind of um, kind oh, yeah. of uh, love story where you get a lot of great kind of alternative um, uh, alternative music that is really um, wonderful. Um, from you know the Smiths to Carla Bruni to Hall and Oates. I think we all know how I feel about that. And that, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, but it really, I, what I, my whole point originally was just how well that the music ends up painting a picture of, of the relationship that they have. And I think how they use the music um, to tell a, a richer, more dynamic story is, uh, is, is really very powerful. Um, uh, you, can, you can tell that this is another one of those movies that was written to music uh, in particular. Just feel it. And, uh, you know, hearing them talk about making this film with Mark Webb, I mean, coming from music videos, maybe that's why. Yeah. But he was very uh, conscious of trying to create a, a, a very positive, upbeat vibe on set. And so was always playing music on set just to kind of keep people moving. And I think that does come across in the music choices as well, along with just the energy in the film. Yeah, just, I think that may be my favorite sequence of the film, the elevator sequence, when he's listening to the Smiths on his headphones. And That's she, a great scene. she breaks in and says, I love the Smiths. Wow, you sounded like Zoe. Not really. Okay, I'll try it again. <laughs> I love the Smiths. Nothing? Anything? No. Better? Do you love no. me? Are you inspired uh, by me? Am I your muse? I'm a little afraid of you. <laughs> Uh, right. It gets so weird so fast. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, any what? What else do we need to talk about before we rank this thing? Uh, you know, this is a film. I, I was a little disappointed when this film didn't get. I mean, it, it got a lot of recognition, a lot of award recognition. Um, a lot of people put it on their uh, top 10 lists at the end of the year. It certainly would be on my top 10 list of, of 2009 when it came out. It did get garner a number of awards, but I was a little miffed when it did not get uh, an, a Best uh, Original Screenplay nomination at the Oscars. I felt, if anything, really should have been nominated for Best Original Screenplay. I, I felt that this screenplay was so playful, so uh, I shouldn't say unique in the nonlinear uh, structure. That certainly has uh, been around. But uh, the way that they do it with the days and the way they bring the emotions up and down all across that, I felt was so strong. I really, really wanted to see this nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And I was disappointed to see it not. Well, particularly because it won uh, so many. I mean, it, it was nominated across the you know the spectrum of, of awards, right? I mean, in the festival circuit, but yeah. it, where it won was in the screenplay. You know, yeah. with it, with the uh, you know a handful of best directorial debut sort of awards that um, uh, uh, that went to Mark Webb. Most of the the acknowledgement on the award circuit was with the screenplay, and uh, so I I really. Really agree with you. That was a that was a, a big miss. Um, and, when, and when you look at the films nominated uh, for best original screenplay, The Hurt Locker, A Serious Man, Inglorious Bastards, The Messenger, and Up, they're all uh, great scripts. I mean, I'm personally not a big fan of A Serious Man. We I mean, we just talked about the Coen Brothers. Mm -hmm. That was not one of their films that I really connected with at all. Right. I would I would happily leave that off and put 500 Days of Summer on there. I would happily leave The Messenger off and put that on there. I mean, The Messenger yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful film. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, between these choices, I just felt like 500 Days of Summer was uh, a, a much riskier, more unique sense of storytelling that uh, excited me a lot more. Um, the Messenger, I, you know, it's a, it's a heavy drama. And maybe it's because this is seen as kind of a light romantic comedy. It's that is working against it when it comes time to Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, that was that that's I think the uh, that's the prevailing wisdom. 
yeah. uh, genre gets in the way of, uh, of awards. Yeah. In this case. Uh, you know, you bring up the days, and I, I just, I, 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 we didn't talk about that originally, but I think that's really important. Some, th- it, one of the magical um, sort of false, um, uh, false notions of measurement is this, is this sense of, you know, this is the, the day number in this relationship, you know, we're, we're watching the 500 days of the relationship with Summer, uh, if we're writing out the, the, equation and uh and so you know each segment is actually labeled with a day and in the beginning you think oh well i I get a rough sense of where we are in the relationship you know when it jumps to day 250 we get a sense of we're about halfway through by the end uh you get you know i guess by about the third act you you those numbers stop meaning really anything until you get to the range of days, right? 455 to 475 or something, I yeah. think, are, are the next sort of, where those are the rebuilding days, and those start yeah. to make sense again. Uh, and yet, somehow, even though those numbers we know don't technically mean anything, they become such a powerful measuring stick uh, as you watch this film. Like, every time we get to one of those leader cards, I want to say, okay, I, I'm, I should write, I feel like I should write this down. Right. Uh, I think that's a really powerful, um, uh, powerful uh trick uh to keep me interested and right in the middle of the film they start moving really quickly you know you get through you know 10 or 12 days uh back to back in very short sequences yeah. um and and it, i think it just sort of punctuates attention and i i think i i really enjoy the fact that it's not day 500 where he sits on that park bench with her and they have that closure. That's day like 488, I believe. Right. And it still takes 12 days for him to finally kind of get through all of that. And it's really when he meets Autumn that those last 12 days, it's still kind of that he kind of worked his way through it from that park bench conversation, but it still takes another 12 days to just kind of get through the, all of the, the, the world of summer and kind of get over that love and introduce to a new person in order to really move on and, and start, start over again. Right, right. I really like that. Film performed fairly well on a modest budget, would you say? Absolutely. This was an independent film. It was picked up by uh, Fox Searchlight. Um, the production budget for this film was uh, $7.5 million, and the uh, total budget for this film was $19 million. So once Fox Searchlight picked it up, they put another $11.5 million into all the marketing. So they certainly spent a good chunk of money on that, more than the film cost, which I thought was interesting. But sometimes I guess that's what you do with these little indie films when you're trying to get them out to the world. It, uh, it did well for itself. You know, it, uh, domestically, it made over $32 million. Internationally, it made about $28 million. So all told, almost $61 million on a total of $19 million budget. So uh, when you adjust all those numbers, and it's 95 minutes long, so when you adjust all those numbers, the adjusted profit per finished minute is almost $471,000. Mm, so bad for a, a minute's work. That's right. I'd like that per minute. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Yeah, it, it performed very well, and I think deservedly so. This is one of those that is uh, it's worth checking out. Yeah, this is a film that, I mean, you know, for me, it's like a, you know, five-star film. I mean, I I feel everything in it is just 100% authentic, 100% honest. I, I can just watch this time and time again and not grow old with anything in it. I just find it absolutely magical. Wow. 
how do I, <laughs> what am I, <laughs> okay, uh, five stars too, because what do I say to that? In my own library, I'll tell you, I have this as a four-star film, and now that we've talked about it, I think to myself, maybe it's because I'm, I, the genre is getting in the way of it. Uh, because, like you say, architecturally, it is one of the more interesting films that that uh, we have watched, but I worry about our ranking because, uh, you know, we're about to rank it next to some pretty powerful films. That's true, but, uh, you know... I feel, and uh, yeah, I don't have, I think, some of the the issues with Zoe's performance that you do. So it might be easier for this one to zip to the top for me than it is for you. But I, you know, this I think could beat out some of the other ones for me. So. Oh man, no, I know, not again. Another one of those. I know. <laughs> Uh, let's do it. Can we do it? Are we ready yep, to do it? I'm ready. All right. So head over to theflickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can see our top. Uh, top films you can if if you jump to it from our extras menu at the nextreel.com you'll hit go straight to the golden list the top 100 next reel films and uh, we'll see now we finally i really love this now that we're over 100 shows we now get to see if this is going to crack the big 100 yeah i feel confident let's say very confident that it's going to crack 100 i feel confident too all right where do we start because i'm telling you uh, it'll be easy for me to have this one beat out quite a few. Uh, like this first one here. <laughs> and, and, you know, we have so many films on here that we like, so it's always going to be hard. 500 Days of Summer or Thank You for Smoking. Oh, 500 Days of Summer. All right. And and if you listen to that show, you know, that's that says a lot. I deeply love Thank You for Smoking. Oh, I do too. I, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Mm-hmm. 500, oh, this is a, a good pairing. 500 Days of Summer or... When Harry Met Sally. 500 Days of Summer. Here, here. With honor to those films that have come before it. <laughs> 500 Days of Summer or The World's End. 500 Days of Summer. I agree. And I love The World's yeah, End. Yeah, I think we can both say we are hooligans about The World's End. Now, this is where it does start getting trickier. 500 Days of Summer or No Country for Old Men. 500 Days of Summer. <gasps> I I said that. I'm really I I know I'm proud of you. I didn't think you were going that way. I really I, I mean No Country for Old Men is is a genius film, but This is you feeling guilty right now. It is me feeling guilty. Okay. But 500 Days of Summer makes me feel so good. So <laughs> No Country for Old Men <laughs> makes me feel dirty. <laughs> and it makes me talk in a funny accent. <laughs> oh, 500 Days of Summer or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, you really kind of have to go to Raiders. <laughs> That's a, yeah. yeah. I can't Five, believe it's gotten this high already. 500 Days of Summer or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Butch Kid? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I might go no, 500 Days won't. of Summer. Are I you just, out of your, what? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, I, I will go Butch Cassidy though. I will go Butch Cassidy, but it does, it does bring up doubt in my mind, which I find interesting, but I will go Butch Cassidy. Mm-hmm. 500 days of summer or the hurt locker. I'd like you to go first on this one. On this one, I will go 500 days of summer. I love the hurt locker. It's a powerful film, but 500 Days of Summer has magic in it. And I, I think no, I, I, cinematic I, magic is difficult. 
I mean, fine. I'm with you on this one. I'm just surprised. I thought this was going to be fireworks. I expected an Andy on Andy, Andy on Andy smackdown. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Uh, there you go. Number six out of 112. <laughs> You know what I'm going to say about us? I think we may have uh, we may have opened uh, with the wrong film for this series. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> All right. Well, it's now it's a, out no, there. Yeah, it's out there. It's out there. I love it. Uh, I'm I am glad to see that uh, the romantic comedy has made it into our top ten. I know. Crazy town, son. Pretty exciting. Good. All right. Good talk. You're doing your uh, crazy Instagram guest this film. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, you know, I, I guess tomorrow I'm going to run out of photos. So it, even if no one figures it out, I'm going to post the answer and start the next one. You so. should, because are you doing, are we, are you going to be doing the next, what's w- this week? Are you going to be, I, I will not film? be doing, I will not be doing uh, the next uh, film that we're talking about, which is about a boy. Oh, I do like this one, too. Yes. Another one that challenges the yep. notion of romantic comedy, if it is or not. So yeah. it'll be fun to talk about. I absolutely love the film. So Excellent. Uh, so About a Boy next week, um, we, we don't have an announcement about our next uh, uh, film board. That's coming up toward the end of the month. We'll save that one. Uh, head over to thenextreel.com. Make sure you're checking out the uh, blog, the fantastically... Uh, well bone structured Steve Sarmento is is uh, uh, writing uh, over on the blog he does great stuff and he's a lot of fun to be with really just generally um, anything else I'm missing I think you covered all of it you got you, def- you got a you hot, got, you got a hot date I was worried that you weren't gonna get Steve's bone structure in, and I'm glad that you did cover that so how do you how would one miss that it's like the, <laughs> I, it's like the I, I first worried. thing you notice about the it, guy. it hadn't come up yet dang. <laughs> Look at those bones. It gets so weird. So fast. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.